Hello, and welcome to The Bucket Problem, episode 45. I am your host, Ace Ambender, and we are back. Uh, I'm using the proverbial we because it's just me this week. Uh, it's, you know, the middle of June. It's a little it's a little slow around these parts right now, but there's actually a fair amount to cover since uh took a month off, uh, which was nice. Uh, before I get to anything else, uh, we are presented by Homefield Apparel. And points bet, and we are a proud member of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Uh, I'm just gonna dive right into it. Uh, you don't want to hear about my vacation. Um, I didn't bring slides. Uh, not gonna show you pictures. Uh, don't worry. Um, <laughs> instead, I'm gonna get mad. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, not a whole lot has changed. Uh, <laughs> uh, my big mood of the week is. Uh, Deep disappointment in and resentment of Ward Manual. Um, and the reason for this is uh, that Manual appeared uh, on the From the Chair podcast with Mike Hamilton, uh, who was a um, former, who's a former Division One athletic director um, and now works, uh, he's the executive vice president of Learfield Media. Uh, and he has a podcast where he, uh, sits down with athletic directors um, from across college football and uh, talks to them. It seems like a significantly less hard-hitting version of, say, um, what Matt Brown does over at Extra Points, um, since it's coming from someone who uh, is buddy-buddy with these people. Um, and, uh, I mean, first of all, right in the episode description, uh, we get... Um, like literally the first thing that it says about the interview is that Ward Manuel discusses Pochambeco's influence. Um, and, uh, Alejandro Zunega of, uh, the Michigan Insider, 247's Michigan outlet, um, had the bravery to listen to this podcast and, uh, transcribed, um, a couple of very key passages. Uh, I'll just read them from his tweet. Uh, he is at by a Zuniga, Z-U-N-I-G-A. Uh, if you want to follow him on there, he's an excellent follow. Um, all right. Michigan AD Ward Manual on the lessons he learned from Bo Schembechler. Quote, integrity. His belief in doing things the right way and pushing you to make sure there are no shortcuts. There's no cheating. It's just you having to do the work and then competing against others and seeing if you can have success. That was important to him. That was paramount to what he taught us and how he led us was about that and about character and that you are a representative. What you do represents who you are. How you do things is a representation of who you are. Always carry yourself with high character and always work hard and do things the right way. I will always have those lessons with me, unquote. I'm going to take a deep breath. Um, one more quote before we get out of here. Um, by out of here, I mean uh, I start ranting. Um Manuel compared Chembeko's leadership to that of his father who served in the U.S. Army. He finished by saying the following, quote, We are all fallible. We all make mistakes in life. Nobody's per perfect, and neither were either Bo or my dad. But it's that effort to try to do it and recognizing when you fall shor short that you have to get up and work on doing things the right way again. That's always lived with me my entire life, unquote. All right, let's start here. Uh, when the fuck did Bo Shebbeckler acknowledge that he fell short? Um... Uh, it's just, it's unbelievable to me that, I mean, on the one hand, it's entirely predictable. On the other hand, it's just remarkable that uh, someone not only in a leadership position at the university, but, uh, you know, the leader of the entire athletic department, uh, which harbored, uh, trigger warning here, um, we're about to talk about Robert Anderson, uh, which involves uh, sexual misconduct, to say the least, um, they were har harboring a serial sexual assaulter for decades. Decades. Um, and Bo knew. We have overwhelming evidence to indicate that Bo knew. Um, if you do not believe that, um, I don't know what to tell you at this point. Um, and that is certainly not just my conclusion. That was the conclusion of the Wilmer Hale report itself. Um, uh, you don't nobody's perfect that away. Uh, you know, you nobody's know, perfect, you know, a quarterback who throws too many interceptions or, um, I, you know, it, 
you nobody's perfect little stuff, um, or even some big things if they're acknowledged. But this this is not something that you can hand wave away and continue to talk about somebody's integrity and character, and particularly the part where Manuel discusses um, that it was so important to Bo Schembechler um, that what you do represents who you are, and that's a direct quote, and that how you do things is a representation of who you are, um, and that you should always do things the right way. Bo did not practice what he preached. I, I know it's hard to hear for a lot of people who came up idolizing him, but Bo Schembechler failed miserably from a moral standpoint by his own standards. Um, and if you are somehow holding on to that he didn't know, there is a passage from his book on leadership with John U. Bacon, um, Bo's Lasting Lessons, uh, in which he discusses the Enron st- scandal um, and says that if a leader says that they don't know what's happening uh, in their organization, uh, they're lying <laughs> and also they're failing. Um, I just, it's really difficult to continually hear that not only do the people in the athletic department have seemingly no intention of removing Bo Schembechler's image and, uh, you know, how he's interwoven into pretty much not just Michigan football, but Michigan athletics as a whole. I mean, pretty much every team uses at least one of his quotes as a motivational slogan um, on the men's and women's side. Um, And there's a whole story with Bo and Title IX that I do not have time to get into, but uh, there is a certain uh, serious irony in women's teams using... uh, Bo Schembechler's discussions because he fought against that. Uh, um, Fought against their teams existing. Um, So not only is Bo just totally interwoven into Michigan athletics, but there seems to be no intention of undoing that. Um, And there's not even, they're not even pretending to be doing anything else. Um, You know, this isn't some private statement of Ward Manuals that got unearthed on somebody's tape recorder or, you know, um, anonymously sourced to a reporter. Ward Manual went on a, what it seems to be a pretty widely distributed large podcast um, and one that certainly goes out to people in this industry and one that absolutely would be picked on by some reporter. And I'm glad Alejandro was, uh, you know, proactive enough to transcribe the critical passage here. Um, you know, this is this is willful. <laughs> this is intentional. This is um, appalling, to be honest, uh, that, I mean, I, I know that there are people in the university who have made an effort to combat this, but there is so little momentum going that um, I don't know, I don't know what to do. And I mean, here, I'll, I'll get to the first uh, uh, question. It's a, it's a mailbag this week. I'm flying solo and there's a lot to catch up on. Um, so that, yeah, let's just move from my big mood into the first question because, um, it relates. Uh, this is from Graham via email. Uh, how does the average fan, i.e. person without a platform to express their views, uh, support Michigan athletes while condemning the athletic department? Like you, Michigan sports have been a part of my entire life. I want to go to games and buy maize and blue gear, but I know that my money goes to support an organization that doesn't seem to care about doing anything about past, current, or future sexual assault. Um, I wish I had a good answer to this. I really do. Um, The one thing I will say with some confidence is that um, buying merchandise directly from athletes' name, image, and likeness collections even if you get there via Michigan's website, because that's where you can find them unless you're crawling around social media, um, at least you know that then um, at least a significant percentage of your your money is going to uh, the people who actually deserve it. Um, Because, yeah, I I don't really want my money going toward manual right now, but I would be okay with it going to Hunter Dickinson, uh, for example. Um, 
it's uh but that's only the um supporting <laughs> the organization part uh as for how people without um large platforms can condemn the athletic department i will say uh yeah you know there are ways to um do things as a graduate fan alum graduate alum yeah um i went to michigan uh there are things you can do um i would say particularly if you're an alum i I think you know fairly or unfairly they tend to listen to alums more um than non-alum fans but um email ward manual and let him know what you think about all this uh his email address is wardmanualad at umich.edu. Um, you can also call his office uh, at 734-764-9416. Um, I'm not doxing him. This is uh, publicly available on his staff page on MGoBlue. Um, there's even on that page a link uh, so that you can email him directly or at least email his executive assistant um and yeah i i think until uh, until there's a coordinated or maybe not even until there's a significantly sized pushback against what's being said and what's not being done uh about robert anderson and beauchamp beckler and everybody else who was in the athletic department and complicit at the time um it's, I'm not saying everybody in the athletic department at the time was complicit, but uh, there there were a lot of people in the athletic department who seemed to have known. Uh, it appears to have been a pretty major open secret, and um, uh, some of those people are still around and still in the athletic department. Um, and there are many others who, uh, you know, are still Bo Schembechler supporters and, uh, you know, his goddamn statue is still out in front of the uh, football facility that is still named after him. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think that's probably the best way to um, do both. And I do understand wanting to do both. Um, I'm not sure how I would be going about things as 100% a fan, because at this point I am, you know, well into my second decade of covering Michigan sports in some fashion um, as a reporter or blogger and that changes your relationship with things um, and say your reliance on having to uh, watch those things um, so I don't know if I'd be as engaged as I am if uh, I did not choose this career path um, but it's making things extremely difficult in terms of trying to um, discuss the games keep the focus on the field and I don't think the focus should always be on the field but it would be nice to be able to do that a little bit more and not seemingly have a new either a new statement get added to the um, pile of crap from what Michigan has done about Anderson and Schembechler or yet another scandal of some sort either within the university or the athletic department itself um you know, I don't I don't like being angry like this. I don't like being ashamed of my alma mater. And I would love to be able to watch these games without having it in the back of my mind that um, there are some serious skeletons in the closet of the athletic department whose teams I root for. Um, and not only that, but, you know, it's out there and not being addressed, um, at least in any meaningful way. Uh that is being presented to the public. Um, and if there's anything really going on in private, um, the momentum is not showing. Uh, but it's really, it reflects very poorly on the university. And uh, I will add that, you know, I won't I won't list all their emails or anything. Just, you know, Google University of Michigan Regents and how to contact them. Pick one you think might be uh, receptive. Um I would suggest uh, not Ron Weiser. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, go from there. Uh, you know, maybe CC them on your email to Word Manual if you're doing such a thing. Uh, but there are ways for the public to show that um, they are deeply disappointed in 
Michigan's response or lack thereof um, to this entire scandal and some others um, and not feel like you're depriving yourself of something that brings you joy in a time when uh, I, I think we're all in need of something like that. Um, you know, I I can say that even if I was just a fan that I would still be watching Michigan football because that has been such a part of my life for pretty much all of it that I can remember. Uh, but the, the longer this goes on, uh, the more those ties fray. Um, and at some point it becomes difficult to repair. So I, I do hope that Michigan takes some action soon. All right, I've gone on for, I think, long enough on that. Um, and I would like to get to some stuff that is uh, less existentially depressing. Um, so the next question comes from Advasov Swami on Twitter. Um, Despite no team national championships, is this the best academic year for Michigan sports since, say, 1997-98? I haven't always followed the non-football sports, but I can't remember ever having so many Big Ten titles. Uh, So just to recap, by my count, Michigan has um, 13 regular season or Big Ten tournament championships uh, this academic year across 11 sports. Um, They've also had three individual national championships, won by two people, um, Paul Judah in the all-around and vault uh, for men's gymnastics, and uh, Nick Seriano at uh, wrestling um, in the 125-pound weight division. Um, To run through the champions real quick, we've got football, uh, ice hockey, baseball, women's soccer, uh, women's and men's gymnastics won both the regular season and the tournament each. um, Both did the double. Wrestling, women's and men's tennis, water polo, and women's golf. Um, that's a lot of Big Ten titles. Um, Michigan's uh, official site listing all of the team national championships, unfortunately, does not sort them by year. It sorts them by sport. Um, and uh, so I kind of just had to eyeball this a little bit, but um, especially with the introduction of uh, Title IX and Michigan really bringing their women's sports programs along and actually, I don't know, funding them, caring about them, all that good stuff. Um, That hasn't really uh, taken serious hold in a um, Big Ten championship kind of way until more recently. So it's pretty safe to cut off. I mean, just from eyeballing it, uh, before 1997, you're not going to have a year like this. Um, And even in the years since, it was tough to find something comparable. Um, There were nine Big Ten championships of some sort uh, and a women's gymnastics national championship last year, in 2020-21. And there were also nine conference titles in the 2002-2003 academic year, um, but no team national title that season. Uh, The year reference, 1997-98, uh, you obviously had the national championship in football, um, and they won the Big Ten. Uh, you also had a national championship in hockey, but they did not win the CCHA that season. Um, the kind of funny thing about Michigan's 1996 and 1998 hockey national titles, uh, if your memory doesn't go that far back, is that by far the best team uh, in those years was the 1997 team that did not win. Um, that team was unbelievably good uh, whereas particularly uh, in 1998 uh, Michigan was not really expected to win um, so sorry uh, back to 1997-98 uh, Big Ten champs uh, football um, you had men's basketball winning the Big Ten tournament the, uh, and then having to vacate it later but I'm counting it damn it because uh, if you were there that year it happened um, so football men's basketball uh, men's cross country Softball won the double regular season and Big Ten tournament. Um, women's swimming and diving, women's indoor track and field, women's outdoor track and field. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, hockey lost the CCHA, but won a national championship. So you have eight conference titles and two national titles. So if you're talking about best academic year for Michigan sports, um, I think it's basically, you know, since 97, 98, you're talking about. I mean, you could maybe put 2002, 2003 in there, but it had the same number of titles as last year, 
and did not have a national championship. And then now you're comparing last year against this year, and it's a matter of would you trade four Big Ten championships for a national championship? And that's a personal preference. I am not going to try to do the mental math on that one. Uh, I would say that this is probably the most all-around success uh, that Michigan has had uh, as an entire athletic department. And I wish I had had the foresight to pull up director's cup numbers and compare them across years. But uh, alas, um, maybe that'll be a post <laughs> later on. Yeah. Um, but I think just by eyeballing the Big Ten titles, uh, this is the best year for uh, the athletic department as a whole. Uh, probably in, in the entire history of the athletic department, um, at least when it comes to uh, conference success. Next one, before we take a quick commercial break, uh, is from Lauren via email. Um, I never like to blame officials for the outcome of a game, but this one seems unfair. Do you know if the NCAA has any rules in place to ensure that there is no bias from the umps? That was about um, Monday's baseball game against Louisville. Um, the deciding game of the regional, the teams had uh, split their previous two. Um, Michigan was up 9-7 to seven with two outs in the eighth inning, and uh, Louisville hits a ball off the fence. Michigan gets it into second, pretty clearly tags the runner out, um, and that runner is called safe. And they go to review because I think pretty much everybody else in the building, especially once they showed a couple replays, uh, was 100% convinced that this guy was out at second. Um, and the call was upheld up upon review, um, which was inexplicable. Uh, just a, a really bad missed call uh, at the worst possible time. And instead of getting out of the inning, Michigan gave up a two-run single um, that tied the game. And then uh, a two-run homer uh, to let Louisville go ahead 11-9. to uh, on after it looked like the batter had taken strike three um, and then whacked the next pitch out of there. Um, and that ended up being the final score. And the part that is um, getting it, I mean, that was already really bad. And then it started, someone found the, uh, uh, not someone, uh, Maze and Brews podcast, um, Blue by 90, uh, or at least they tweeted this from their account, um, had uh, located the, second base umpires LinkedIn. They uh, were kind enough to not attach his name to it. Um, but evidently the man attended Louisville and also worked a couple years for ESPN radio's Louisville affiliate. Uh, so that's not great. <laughs> that, that seems to indicate a certain level of ties to a team that uh, makes you question the objectivity of the officiating, especially when a call is so obviously wrong. Um, it's hard. I, I, it's to answer Lauren's question um, in terms of if the NCAA has any rules in place. Obviously, they don't have a rule in place to prevent an alum working a team's game, and I think that's the thing that is a very common sense rule that should be put in. Um, that they should probably just look into each official umpire, referee, whatever's. Um, personal ties to any school, whether or not they're an alum, but, you know, if there's a connection there, whether it's a child attending or just, you know, grew up in the area, rooting interests, stuff like that, there are, I think, enough officials to go around where it shouldn't be that hard to, at the very least, prevent, you know, an alum from calling uh, one of their team's playoff games. Um, it's hard to find the specific rules that the NCAA has about umpires, because if you google stuff like officials rules bias uh you get back a bunch of studies on the like the impact of home court advantage on foul distribution and basketball and stuff like that which is tremendously valuable valuable and does show that there is uh bias towards home teams uh, in case you were wondering whether or not uh, your yelling was effective it is um along with the coaches um but uh yeah, it's it appears that there's not enough <laughs> uh, safeguards in place to prevent stuff like this from happening, and it does take away from your uh, kind of faith in uh, the game, the game's fairness, <laughs> uh, 
when stuff like that happens. I don't think this is a massive widespread problem. I know people are going to bring up 2016 Ohio State. Um, but, uh, and Spartan Bob's clock, clock operating, but the uh, NCAA did put in a rule to change that. So the NCAA had neutral clock operators, the Big Ten did from that point forward. Um, yeah, it, it just seems like there's a pretty obvious solution to this, and it's a real bummer that that's how uh, things went for Michigan and how their season ended because, um, yeah, that, that error very directly led to Michigan giving up the tying and go-ahead uh, runs and... Um, who knows how it would have gone uh, if they get out of that eighth inning clean. The Bucket Problem is, as always, brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Um, use the code Bucket Problem for 15% off your first order from homefieldapparel.com. If somehow you have made it this long without uh, ordering anything from them. Uh, we are midway through uh, Big New Saturday Season 4. And over the last couple weekends, both Arizona schools have dropped Arizona State. And Arizona, um, my best friend is getting married in uh, you know, outside of Phoenix in, uh, in this fall. Uh, we will, I, I think it'll be knowing him, um, organized around the game as opposed to blowing through it. Uh, for those about to scream about that, uh, I still might take that weekend off though. <laughs> but uh, I now have apparel from both schools uh, to wear because uh, his. Uh, fiance is from the area i i now have to uh nudge him and ask uh what the family's affiliation is so i I don't get myself in trouble but uh there there is uh especially in the in the u of a collection a gorgeous um landscape graphic uh with the cactus um uh, incorporated into the word mark um and logo for arizona that they used on uh a hoodie, a t-shirt, and a, a women's tank. Um, so if you want any of those things, uh, it's it's one of the, I would say, best best shirts they've ever put out, and that is saying something. Meanwhile, Clemson is up for this weekend. Uh, does Homefield support uh, mascot use of hard drugs? Who's to say? Uh, anyway, uh, use promo code BUCKETPROBLEM for 15% off your first order from homefieldapparel.com. Um, and uh, we, as always, thank them for their uh, continued steadfast support, despite these ad reads. <laughs> Meanwhile, download the PointsBet app and use the promo code BUCKETPROB to get 100% of your deposit match up to $1,000 in the form of free bets. To get that bonus, you must use the promo code BUCKETPROB, that is bucket, P-R-O-B, all one word. Please gamble responsibly. Set limits. Avoid chasing losses. Never bet what you can't afford to lose. Take breaks when you need it. And use the self-exclusion feature to stop yourself from betting. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right. More questions and answers. Uh, This time we are going to pivot to basketball. Uh, Starting with uh, a question from at Tuba1060 on Twitter. Uh, A couple of men's basketball questions. Um, first, with Houston and Diabate gone, uh, if you missed it, Moose Diabate and Caleb Houston, both in the NBA draft. Um, do you think Juwan Howard rolls with the current roster or goes portal hunting? If the latter, who are the best options out there at this point to fill the current roster holes? Um, I'll just directly quote uh, what Phil Martelli uh, told the Michigan Insider. If you can shoot it and you're out there, you can expect that we'll be knocking on your door. So yes, Michigan is absolutely pursuing uh, uh, transfers and... I would be surprised if they didn't add... I mean, I would be shocked if they didn't add one. I'd be pretty surprised, actually, if they didn't add two. Um, Because they have two open roster spots. Uh, I think they need two wings. Um, And there are three players that stand out to me right now. Um, You know, even though the portal has been picked over quite a bit, there are some guys who um, made late NBA draft decisions or, you know, deadline-ish NBA draft decisions with Drew and do not want to stay at their current school. That includes two um, pretty productive Big Ten players who I think would be very useful for Michigan next year. Um, One of them is Northwestern's Pete Nance, um, who is a stretch big, who could play either the four or the five. Uh, He would be a a pretty – he would be a really interesting fit next to Hunter Dickinson. Um, Apparently Illinois is a pretty big factor there. Um, But Michigan did have uh, – John Beeline recruited Pete Nance 
pretty hard out of uh, at a high school. Um, and uh, I think there should be some mutual interest there. Uh, the other Big Ten player is, uh, incidentally enough, Illinois. Uh, Illinois' Jason, Jacob Grandison, who's uh, a, a solid 3-and-D wing, shots the three at around 40%, um, is, uh, is a solid defender, has good positional size. Uh, he's another guy who fills a couple needs. And then the third player who's really on the radar, uh, as far as I know, is uh, Duke grad transfer Joey Baker, um, who has always come off the bench for them, but he's a career 38% three-point shooter um, who takes about twice as many threes as twos. Um, he's definitely a just-a-shooter type, but Michigan could really use that. Um, so he's uh, he was on campus yesterday. Uh, that was reported by Alejandro. What do you know? Um, as I told you earlier, go and follow Alejandro. Um, and, uh, he would be someone who I, I would, I would guess would come off the bench. Um, but he also had a, a hip injury that had kind of limited him last year. So perhaps, uh, he's better than, uh, what last season would indicate. And, uh, even then he, he, uh, made some improvements and especially in terms of two point finishing, um, and also getting to the line a little bit more. So it'd be uh, be intriguing to see what he can do. Um, and Michigan could absolutely use the shooting. Uh, so maybe they get, you know, I don't know how it's going to shake out. Transfers, it's always a crapshoot. But if Michigan can get one of one of Nance or Grandison and Joey Baker, that's a, it's a nice one, too, where you get kind of a front-courtish wing and then more of a back-courtish wing. And uh, both of them would be able to stretch the floor, which Michigan definitely needs. Next question from at Brusual Suspects is actually two questions. First one, um, how much does Diabate and Houston leaving hurt? Both showed promise last year, but also inconsistency. Uh, let me adjust that before getting to the next one. Um, it definitely hurts, <laughs> I, but it's hard to figure out how, I mean, I think Michigan is going to be able to cover relatively well for Musa Diabate's absence. He was always a guy who was going to be a better NBA prospect than a college player. And I think even by that standard, last season was a little disappointing. It was an awkward fit next to Hunter Dickinson. That wasn't going to change this season. Um, so unless Diabate really honed a three-point shot or... Uh, really improved his ball handling. I mean, there there was going to have to be some significant leap there, change in play style, or maybe one on the on the part of Dickinson if he can really start raining threes. But I don't think you want to take that guy out of the post that much. Um, so Michigan was actually, um, well, they were a different team. They were worse on offense and better on defense uh, with Diabate off the court, um, which might be a little counterintuitive. Um, they were functionally the same team uh, as long as Hunter Dickinson was out there. Um, so I'm using numbers from pivot analysis on off stuff uh, as a bit of a reference for some of this, as well as just having watched the team all last year. Um, and uh, I'll probably, uh, I'll probably use these numbers in a post uh, in the next couple of days, but I, I took their Michigan's possessions and just filtered out it out. So it was only when Hunter Dickinson was on the court as kind of a way to um, level the playing field because it made a big difference for everybody. Um, and then just looked at Ken games against Ken Palm top 100 teams and uh, cut out garbage time. Um, and what was true with Diabate is also true with Caleb Houston in that Michigan was almost exactly the same team with him on or off the court. Um, so you would think that that would be replaceable, but then you look at the next guy up, and uh, it was Terrence Williams. Um, and Michigan was about eight points per 100 possessions worse um, with him on the floor beside Hunter Dickinson versus off the floor uh, when Hunter Dickinson was out there. So that's a little worrisome in that he comes out, despite some very good three-point shooting at the end of the year, as a pretty negative player. Um and somebody who, uh, in particular, brought down the offense, uh, 
but also was not as good on defense. Um, at least those lineups were not. Uh, and he played a pretty significant number of possessions in these games too. So this is not uh, a minuscule sample size or anything. On the plus side, Michigan was actually four points per 100 possessions better when Kobe Bufkin was on the floor. So um, he doesn't quite, you know, he's not a one-to-one replacement for Caleb Houston. They play two different positions. Um, they're two very different players. But if Michigan finds a small forward or somebody who can play small forward in the transfer portal, like, say, Jacob Granderson, uh and you've got Kobe Bufkin helping, you know, replace the shooting and, you know, just kind of, He's even though he struggled at times last year, he's really got the profile of a good scorer. And by the on-offs, uh, he actually really significantly helped the defense. Um, that uh, that could offset Houston's departure. Um, but I think for Michigan to really be close to as talented as last year's team, um, they're going to need to make a nice uh, hit in the transfer portal here. Um, so... I know I haven't done a great job of answering this question, but it depends uh, so much on the transfer portal. Because uh, I think if Michigan brings in um, at least one wing who can shoot, then they're in a position where they might be better than last season simply because the team fits together better. And also, you know, Kobe Bufkin was a top 50 recruit. Um, they've got Jalen McQuillan coming in to help... Uh, um, kind of bolster the backcourt but you know they're going to need some some improvements I'm, not, I'm certainly not ruling out Terrence Williams as a quality player I think uh, particularly on defense a lot of his uh, issues there are things that can be fixed um, you know more positioning stuff and also being able to play more at the four without Musa Diabate which I think is a, a better position for him uh, playing a little bit more down low than out on the perimeter um, so I'm, I'm certainly not saying he's going to be a negative player next year he just was last year um yeah i think uh i think there's a chance for this team to to be better um i i would have liked to see how diabate in particular developed um also curious how much of last year was a fluke with caleb houston and how much of it was real uh but we're not going to find out and um you know if michigan can bring in a, a good shooting transfer with the talent they have in the front court, you know, having Terrace Reed in there to back up Hunter Dickinson, I, I I do believe that Michigan could. I don't want to say come out ahead with these departures, but maybe have a team that schematically fits together a little bit more, even if they don't have as much uh, raw talent on the court. This next question is from at Ti Shield. Um, does either basketball team have enough shooting to truly compete? What would surprise you more, Houston going undrafted or Diabate going in the first round? Um, for women's basketball, I think they do have enough shooting to compete. Um, for one thing, uh, the bar for outside shooting in women's basketball is a lower percentage by a few points than in in the men's game. The shooting efficiency just isn't quite as high across the sport. Um, well, Michigan has one of the best shooters in the country flat out in Maddie Nolan, um, and then they've got Leah Brown, who I think is better than her raw numbers have been so far in her career, um, in part, I think, because of just bad three-point luck, um, and also in part because uh, her attempts can be rather high difficulty. She's Michigan's late clock score a lot of the time, uh, shoots some threes off the pick and roll, off the dribble. Um, she's a more dynamic three-point shooter, and... Uh, especially given her touch on mid-range shots and her free-throw shooting, I think there's a chance that her that she could be a mid-to-high 30s um, in in terms of three-point percentage. Then you've got Layla Filia, who I think has uh, you know kind of the same thing, where um, her three-point pure three-point percentage wasn't tremendous, but uh, you saw the shot-making ability both uh, off as a catch-and-shoot player and as somebody who can create off the dribble and. She also has so much ability off the bounce that um, I think she's going to be a really high-level scorer either way. And Emily Kaiser might be able to get into that 30%-ish range, percent-ish range um, as a pick-and-pop big. Uh, her shot looks halfway decent. She's a good free-throw shooter. She's been willing to attempt you know, a couple threes a game-ish, one or two, and 
while they've only been falling at about 22-25% in her career, uh, you know, getting that ticked up a little bit will alter how defenses have to face her. Um, so, yeah, long way of saying yes. Um, I think they do have enough shooting to compete. Uh, as for the men's team, uh, please ask again after the transfer cycle is over <laughs> because uh, right now, I don't think so. Uh, but I think that changes with even one more real viable shooter in the in the rotation and hopefully two. Um, and that seems to be precisely what Michigan is going after. And, I mean, you got it straight from Phil Martelli's mouth. So that seems like a pretty credible source. Um, as for the second question, whether I'd be more surprised by Caleb Houston going undrafted or Musa Diabate going in the first round, um, I think I'd be more surprised by the latter, uh, but it's real close. Um, I would... I would not be particularly surprised by either. Uh, I, you know, Diabate's got maybe not as great a physical profile as people initially thought for the NBA, but because um, I think he's more in the six eight range than the six eleven range. But um, just a phenomenal athlete, and you can really see the the potential with his skill. Um, and I can I can very much see the more spaced out pro game benefiting him quite a lot but he was supposed to be you know a kind of a game-changing defender and he was just was not that last year um again Michigan was actually a better defensive team with him off the court than on the court as long as they had Hunter Dickinson out there and that was by about five points per 100 possessions um so I mean it's just so a lot of people have talked about um how this draft, once you get past pick 15, 20, 25, from there to the to the complete end of the draft, uh, you could almost throw all the names in a hat. Um, it is going to really depend on what specific teams want. Um, so just based on that and Caleb Houston not going through the NBA Combine, which makes it seem like if he doesn't have a flat-out promise from a team, that a, a team has at least expressed some interest in him. Uh that uh, it, it would surprise me a little bit if he went undrafted. Although, if I'd just gone in blind and not paid attention to NBA draft coverage, uh, my answer would probably be different. Um, so we'll see if that's a smokescreen of some sort. Uh, if he's really got a promise, who knows? Um, but uh, just based on what I've read and listened to... Um, and here I will suggest uh, Sam Vecini's Game Theory podcast uh, on the Athletics Network um, for some pretty excellent draft coverage. And I don't think this is his most recent episode, but I think a couple episodes back he covered um, Diabate and Houston entering the draft and both what their draft prospects might be and uh, what Michigan's outlook might be without them. So uh, that's uh, well worth your time. Um all right, final question, or no, sorry, two more questions. I forgot to put one in italics. Um, women's basketball one uh, from Lauren, again, via email. Um, Emily Kaiser coming back is a massive boost, but I'm wondering if you think it's enough to either win a Big Ten title or get back to the Elite Eight without Nas Hillman. I'm optimistic that the returners are going to improve upon last year, but I don't think many others think the same. It's so hard to replace Nas Hillman uh, <laughs> um, that... The Elite Eight might be... The Elite Eight will be tough. I mean, the Elite Eight is tough to get to, period, uh, even for the best teams in the country. Um, but I think Michigan might be a cup behind that. At the same time, Philia, Layla Felia has a tremendous amount of potential. Um, and if she develops into the star that I expect her to become sooner rather than later, then the math changes on this. Um, because... I think elite guard play has really been what separates the best teams in the country from the very best teams in the country from where Michigan has been recently. There's just a, a noticeable difference in athleticism. Um, and Philia is a different kind of player. She's a player who would not look out of place, uh, you know, being recruited onto UConn um, or a program like that, uh, you know, South Carolina. Uh, so I think with Kaiser coming back. And if you haven't read my post on it, um, which is free to everybody. So, uh, you can read it if you're listening to this. Um, 
Emily Kleiser is one of the most impactful defenders, not just in the Big Ten, but in the country, uh, as somebody who can play both center and power forward. So uh, her flexibility and her ability to lead the team on the court not only raises the floor of this team for next year, it raises the ceiling, and it allows Kim Barnes or Rico to kind of pick. Uh, you know, Michigan, there's one front court starting position up for grabs right now. And with Kaiser taking a front court spot, it can either go to a center, who in this case would be Isabel Verjao, um, who's easily the the like the biggest and most traditional center among the bench options, or Michigan could go with more of a power forward type in either Cameron Williams or Lee Stuck. And um, Williams was the more touted recruit out of high school. Uh, Stuck, I think. Um, you know, actually played a little bit over Williams. They they kind of went back and forth trading bench minutes last year. Both ended up playing about the same amount of time. But uh, there were times when Stuck looked, um, particularly on defense, um, like uh, she had a better feel for uh, the system. So you've got three players there. If one of them emerges into a good starter, uh, you can start them because Kaiser can be your power forward or your center. And that'll help. Um, I expect a couple of those players to be, if not all three, to be pretty significant contributors. They were good player, useful players when they were playing alongside Kaiser last year. Um, there were her being on or off the court had a dramatic impact on the success of the other players, uh, on the team again, particularly on defense. So I think this team might be a little bit more defensive oriented. Uh, Philia has elite defensive potential. So does Ari Wiggins, who's probably going to be the backup point guard, uh, behind Maddie Nolan, who's not really a point guard, but I expect Leah Brown to be the lead ball handler in the starting lineup so you can play you know, an off-ball player at quote-unquote point guard uh, next to Felia. Um, and Nolan's just such a good shooter and also a pretty good defender that and I think you really want her on the court. But um, Ari Wiggins had some outstanding defensive numbers last year, uh, especially when playing with the starters and uh, her and Felia would be by far the most athletic backcourt that Michigan has ever had. Uh, so I think you might see this team, you're going to see this team change their style. They're they're not going to be as post-oriented just because not, Nas Hillman was an unbelievably good post-scorer and this team has more perimeter talent um, than Michigan has had. So, uh, and I don't know if Michigan's going to be better. They're going to be different, and uh, I think they'll be fun. And there's a chance that they are just so good on defense um, that the improvement of the players who were in the rotation last year, the players who weren't in the rotation kind of bubbling their way up, um, adding Greta Kampschrader, the former McDonald's All-American transfer from Oregon State, uh, certainly adds a, a promising talent there, even if her freshman year wasn't what you'd expect from a player with those accolades. Um, there's there's enough there to, um, you know, if the pieces fit together well, certainly fit to compete for a Big Ten title and maybe even make that push into, you know, the second weekend of the NCAA tournament um, and threaten to go into the third. Um, but uh, that's probably more of a stretch goal without Nas Hellman, at least in the first season without her. But um, the overall level of talent in this program continues to go up so um i certainly uh would not would not doubt this program just because they lost the best player in program history at the same time when you say that out loud you do think that maybe it's going to be tough to replicate uh the success of last year right away uh, i'm waffling a lot but <laughs> i don't know i got i got some months before i have to really uh come to a a, a hard conclusion about Michigan's standing, particularly in the Big Ten, um, especially since there's still some some transfer action going on. Emily, Emily Kaiser's return is still pretty fresh. That was within the last couple of weeks. Um, all right, now the last one. From David via email, um, should we be concerned about the direction of the softball program? This is the fifth straight year of great pitching and a non-existent offense, leading to leaving the postseason with a whimper. In addition, it's tough to see Storacco and Carson hitting the portal. Am I overreacting, or does something need to be addressed in the program? Uh, I mostly have to punt on this because I am not a softball expert, particularly when it comes to um, 
how how often transfers happen, uh, what the recruiting landscape looks like. I'm just totally ignorant on that stuff. Um, and uh, I've definitely noticed this phenomenon where Michigan's not getting runs in big games um, and often squandering some really spectacular pitching performances. But, you know, my solution to that is like, hey, maybe you should go out and recruit another Sierra Romero. And that is probably um, easier said than done. Uh, And I know, you know, despite Michigan's great record of success that softball, uh, you know, it was, uh, I believe, three Big 12 teams and UCLA uh, comprising the Final Four this year. So uh, this is definitely a sport that tends to more take hold in uh, warm weather states um, for reasons that should be obvious. But... uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm certainly not going to say that Michigan, you know, Carol Hutchins is going to be able to coach here until she says she's done coaching here. And she's earned that. She's more than earned that. She is Michigan softball. And I don't know enough about position coaches, you know, hitting, you know, the hitting coach, the pitching coach, whatever. Um, I, I don't have enough insight into that to give a, an answer that wouldn't be just completely uh, talking out of my rear end about, you know, people's jobs and livelihoods <laughs> which seems bad so i'm not going to do that um but it does seem like uh either a recruiting repro- approach or development approach that there's there's something where um you know and maybe it's just a string of bad luck kind of you know in the uh michigan can't find a an elite quarterback kind of vein uh, where they just uh they don't have that middle of the lineup hitter that you you, that strikes fear into your heart every year. Um, and uh, they haven't been tremendous top to bottom at, at putting runs on the board uh, in the postseason. So we'll see. Uh, that's one where I will definitely say I have no idea. Uh, that is it for this week. Um, thank you for listening and for uh, <laughs> putting up with a, a solo pod in my first uh, run back in over a month if i was a little rusty my bad uh get back into the flow of things um and on that note uh i've already written once this week i will have another lose- newsletter out uh by the end of the week just kind of i haven't decided yet whether it's going to be about manual or whether i want to wait a couple more days before letting my thoughts on that um get out fully into the public other than what i've already said on this podcast um or if i'm going to look at men's hoops um, and the Diabate and Houston departures and transfers and all that and how Michigan can put together a roster. But one of those things will be up by the end of the week. Uh, so follow at Bucket Problem on Twitter. Go to www.thebucketproblem.com and subscribe to the newsletter and the bonus podcast. Uh, rate, review, and subscribe to this year free free podcast. Uh, use the promo code Bucket Problem at homefieldapparel.com and use the promo code Bucket Problem on PointsBet. Thank you for listening, and have a great week.